Hey, hey, welcome to Mind Body Greens Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty Squad. I am your host and Mind Body Greens Beauty Director, Alexandra Engler. So today we're going to talk about a subject that is complicated and I know is something that a lot of women and men are experiencing but may not want to talk about hair loss. If you're going through it, sometimes it can feel like you are the only person dealing with it. You know, it is so much easier to complain about other concerns with your hair, skin, and body. You know, you can joke about them even. If you have a breakout, you can laugh about it with your friends. If your hair feels frizzy during the summer, you laugh it off and you apply a curl cream that is a little bit extra hold. You know, you feel that you have dark under eye bags, you know, you make a joke about how you didn't get enough sleep last night, and then you swipe on some concealer. Hair loss is different. Hair loss isn't something that it's as easy to talk about, and it's definitely not something that people want to talk about as eagerly. And at times, it can feel daunting, it can feel confusing, it definitely feels stressful. And And if you're going through it, sometimes it feels permanent and sometimes it even is permanent. And I think that's why people are so afraid and so scared to bring it up because they don't exactly know what's going on and they don't know if it is something that they are going to have to deal with forever. But before we begin and before we dive in and before I bring in our guests, I just want to say it's so common. You are not alone. More than 50% of women will experience noticeable hair loss. So noticeable as in, you know, it's thinning, you're seeing more shedding, maybe you're even seeing patches, you're seeing thinning around your hairline. So that's a pretty significant amount of people. You are not alone. The most common cause of hair loss is something called female pattern hair loss, which don't worry, we'll get to later. And it actually affects some 30 million women in the United States. So again, that's a lot of people who are going through this. It's, it's, it's something that, yes, is hard to bring up, but I guarantee if you do bring it up, you will find other people who are experiencing it. And shockingly, or perhaps not shockingly, it is happening even more now. According to a recent survey of around 1,000 adults, nearly two in five of us have experienced hair loss as a result of quarantine-related stress. A survey of almost 4,000 COVID-19 survivors done by Survivor Corp, a COVID-19 survivor support group, found that 32% of respondents reported hair loss. Now, we don't exactly know why. It might be linked to stress. It might be related to something else. Not quite sure, but still, 32% of respondents is not an insignificant number. And if you look at Google Trends, you can even find the search term has been climbing over the past months. So again, I want to stress this so much that this is a common issue that a lot of people are dealing with. There should not be the same stigma attached to it as we sometimes think it is. I remember a handful of years ago, I went through some pretty serious hair loss and I obsessed over it almost nonstop. I visited experts, I visited dermatologists to try to figure out what was going on. And I was too afraid to talk about it with anybody because I felt that my hair was a huge part of my identity. And if I was losing it, then what was I going to be without my big curly blonde hair? I didn't want to think about that. It it was too daunting. It was too scary to admit to people. It, It was something that I just almost didn't want to acknowledge. So I didn't even want to put it out there to my friends in the universe that this might be happening. Luckily, it was 
temporary hair loss and I was able to get a lot of volume back. This is all to say, if it's something that is affecting you, we can talk about it. And we can also talk about it with our esteemed guest today, board certified dermatologist, Rochelle Cochran Gathers. Welcome, welcome Rochelle, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Alexandra, how are you? I'm doing good. So I'm excited to chat today all about hair loss. You know, I know from following your work on social media and chatting with you, this is obviously a topic that I know that you are well-versed in. I, I was hoping you could give us a little bit of an overview of your your career, how you got interested in dermatology, and just, you know, about your practice. I, that way uh, we can all we can all understand your expertise a little bit more. Sure, absolutely. Well, First of all, thank you so much for having me today. And, you know, I am a board certified dermatologist and I uh, would say I first got interested in dermatology as a teenager. You know, I thought I wanted to be a physician and I was kind of interested in pediatrics as a kid because I like kids, but I, as a teenager, dealt with like many teenagers acne and also a condition called keloiding, which is a type of scarring condition. And so I actually found myself at our family dermatologist pretty often, more often than I would be there. And naturally being at the dermatologist's office so often really sort of uh, sparked an interest that I had in in terms of what is it that a dermatologist does, what is day-to-day life like for a dermatologist. And that interest kind of carried over, you know, throughout my college years and then into medical school. And when it was time to choose a career path, I chose dermatology. My interest in in dermatology really are strongly centered around both hair, hair loss, hair care, as well as skin care, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that all dermatologists do. We are experts in hair, skin, and nail care. In particular, a lot of my interest has been focused around education about hair and skin care. And that's one of the things that I tend to focus on in my website that I do is just focusing on empowering people about being able to take care of their hair, being able to take care of their skin, and just making sure that people are aware of what information is correct and what information is misinformation. Sure. You know, I think people so often forget that dermatologists, you know, part of your schooling and education and a part of your career has to do with hair. I think people always associate dermatology with skin. So how, you know, I I know that you you do spend a lot of your work talking about hair care. Is there a reason that hair care sparked an interest with you specifically? Yes, uh, there is. Well, uh, as an African-American woman, many of my patients are African-American women. And unfortunately, African-American women and men can suffer disproportionately from certain types of hair loss. So early in my career, I found that so many of my visits were women coming to me suffering from all sorts of hair loss and wanting help. And that really sort of sparked my interest in both education and investigation. You know, why are these women Mm. suffering hair loss? What's causing it? What can I do to, uh, number one, help them, number two, educate them? And so it sort of was a natural uh, progression of my interest based upon who was seeking me out in terms of care and then further what I could do in terms of helping uh, this population. Sure. So I want to lay the groundwork a little bit here just so we all kind of are on the same page with, with hair loss. I know that there's a few different types of hair loss that women specifically may suffer. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of the major ones? Absolutely, Alexandra. Well, 
First of all, when we talk about hair loss or the term alopecia, I think for some people that term can be confusing. Alopecia is simply the term for hair loss, and there are many types of alopecia. So for instance, a very common form of hair loss we see is female pattern hair loss, which is sometimes called uh, androgenic or androgenetic hair loss. But also we can see hair loss from conditions called telogen effluvium. And we see that in stress or illness mm. or medication changes. So that's another type of hair loss that we see a lot of. And then further, hairstyling practices, things that we do to our hair on a daily basis can cause hair loss. So there are things like traction hair loss or traction alopecia, which occurs from excessive pulling. There's another form of hair loss that can affect African-American women disproportionately. It's called CCCA. And these are hairstyles that can occur, hair loss types that can occur from hairstyling practices. And then there's another category. There are types of hair loss that can occur from deficiencies. Mm. I see women who have iron that may have low vitamin D, low biotin. These things can cause hair loss. Um, alopecia or hair loss can also be caused by different inflammatory conditions. So there are people that have lupus, which is a pretty common autoimmune condition that can be associated with hair loss. Psoriasis, which is another inf disease of inflammation, can cause hair loss. And then uh, there's something called alopecia areata, where people get patchy types of hair loss, which is autoimmune. So there are really myriad numbers of things that can cause um, hair loss in, in any given population. What are some of the more common ones that you see? I'd have to say, Alexandra, that the most common types of hair loss that I see are female pattern hair loss, the type of hair loss that many women experience as they get older due to hormonal changes, but also hair loss due to deficiencies and hairstyling practices. I know that these different types of hair losses can can show up in different ways. You know, f female pattern hair loss tends tends to be thinning around you know the the center of the scalp, um, whereas you know from from hairstyling practices may, maybe it's you know around the hairline and deficiencies. Perhaps that's more of shedding. You know, so like what can people expect when when they're experiencing hair loss? Like what should they look for? Is it you know like what areas should they be concerned about thinning, etc.? Well, let's let's talk about female pattern hair loss first. Okay. So as you, as you mentioned, a lot of women who experience female pattern hair loss will notice that they're getting thinner towards the, the top of the head or the front of the head. But another thing that we'll often, uh, I'll often hear my patients say is, you know, gee, my, my part is getting wider. You know, when I part my hair down the middle, there's all the scalp now that didn't used to be there. Or another thing that I'll commonly hear is my ponytail used to be, you know, this thick, and now it's this thick. It's so much smaller when I pull my hair back. And so we can see just a generalized sort of thinning all over. We can see a widening of the part. We can see uh, thinning near the temples. And all these things can be seen with female pattern hair loss. If you're looking more at, say, attraction hair loss that can be caused from hairstyling practices. So for instance, uh, dancers, ballerinas that have to wear a, a tight bun, or say women who uh, wear a ponytail most days, 
or women who may wear braids or hair weaving, you are more likely to see that thinning at the front of the scalp, at the temples, uh, around the hairline or the hair edges. So the pattern can uh, really be helpful in telling us what, what type of hair loss we're dealing with. Sure. Yeah. So where exactly the person is experiencing the hair loss is, you know, how, how you can help them identify why it's <clears throat> perhaps happening. Yes, that can be one one clue. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between stress and hair loss. You know, we know that there is a connection there. And after times of, you know, increased stress, you know, a few months later, people might experience more shedding than perhaps they're used to or you know stress can trigger some sort of autoimmune issue which can result in hair loss what is the connection between stress and hair loss and how often do you do you see it in your patients is it something that you you know you ask them about when they come in and are experiencing hair loss you know how how much of importance do you put on stress in this conversation Yes, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because stress plays a huge role in hair loss. I think we're seeing that so much more this year or in 2020 mm-hmm. and now in 2021. I can't tell you the number of uh, patients that my patients that I've been seeing that have either had COVID and are experiencing hair loss post-COVID or mm-hmm. just experiencing wow hair loss due to all of the stress that we're all dealing with around the pandemic. Stress is something that sort of upsets the delicate balance that we have within our bodies. You know, everything is in balance typically. And when you experience a stressor, be that a physical stressor like an illness, a physical stressor like childbirth, or an emotional stressor, a breakup, a pandemic, these things (laughs) upset that environmental balance within your body and these things can trigger your hair to shed excessively. So stress and hair loss, let's quickly look into the connection. It actually has to do with stress hormone cortisol. When there's a large and prolonged surge of cortisol in the body, it forces a larger portion of your hair to enter a dormant phase. Now, normally your hair is in a constant cycle of growth, stagnation, and loss. So when a larger portion is forced into the shedding phase, you'll experience more loss all over and all together, which, you know, you'll interpret as hair loss. It's actually a survival mechanism because your body is able to reroute precious nutrients to your vital organs. Interesting, right? So I always, when I'm talking to my patients, ask them about stress, particularly if they're having excessive shedding. And I can tell you that the number of women that have increased stress leading to hair loss is a very high number. Yeah. And then it can almost trigger something that becomes like a a vicious cycle because people obviously, you know, they become stressed when they are experiencing hair loss and it can kind of exacerbate the issue maybe. That's exactly right. And it's it's something I was actually talking to a patient about recently because she said, I'm losing my hair because I'm stressed, but now I'm stressed about losing my hair. And, you know, it becomes, it becomes a vicious cycle and it's important that we sort of get at the root cause of the stress and, and address that cause so that the hair has the best chance of growing back. You know, and in most cases of stress-related hair loss or a condition that we call telogen effluvium, after the stressful event passes, after the illness passes, 
once the body sort of regains its balance, that hair loss does not last forever. That hair loss is most often temporary and will within six months begin to go away. And over the next 12 to 18 months, the hair should begin to normalize in most cases. So I try to tell my patients that this is temporary. We're going to work through it. We're going to find out what the root cause is, address that, and we should be able to get your hair growing again. Yeah. I think that's so important to note for stuff like this, because I remember a few years ago, I went through a a time where I was experiencing pretty dramatic hair loss. And I went to, you know, I went to a, a specialist and I went to a dermatologist to figure it out. And we did trace it back to stress. And I, I had the increased shedding for, you know, six months and it, again, it really stressed me out, but then eventually my hair kind of got back to normal and, you know, I really got that fullness back. I think in the moment I was like, oh my God, this is going to be forever. My hair is never going to be thick again. And, but it really does like, you're, you're absolutely right from speaking from personal experience. It did end up coming back. Like I got the fullness back, which was, but at the time I was like, oh my God, I'm never getting my hair back. It's, you know, hair loss is so traumatic for women and it's so stressful. And I can remember that after my first child, I was a dermatologist, so I understood that hair loss could occur after childbirth. And I remember a few months after he was born, being in the shower and washing my hair and just gobs of hair coming out. And physiologically, I understood what was happening, but it didn't make it any less uh, stressful. It didn't make it any less worrisome. It didn't really make it any less embarrassing. So I understood what was going on and I still had these feelings. So I know for my patients who may not understand necessarily on a physiologic level what's causing it, it's incredibly worrisome, incredibly depressing even for many people. And it's definitely a a huge part of what what, what we see as physicians that work with our hair loss patients. I want to talk a little bit more about traction alopecia. You know, obviously this is something that so many women deal with and I... I want to ask you what exactly is happening there. Is it because you're just pulling at the hair too much? Is it from styling in the same positions too often? What's the mechanism behind this? Sure. Well, traction alopecia can be caused by excessive tension on the hair. So it could be that you always style your hair in a certain way. Say you always wear a kind of tight ponytail, always in the same direction. Uh, So chronic tension. It could also be from from stress. For instance, many women may wear, particularly in the African-American community, many of us will wear braids in our hair or weaving in the hair. And if those are done too tightly, that chronic tension and that chronic stress can lead to inflammation in the scalp. Mm -hmm. And this inflammation is what leads to hair loss. And, And really, Alexandra, so much of what causes hair loss is inflammation. And so when you are always pulling your hair tightly or always wearing a tight bun, there is inflammation that can occur around those hair follicles, which begins to weaken them and which can eventually make the hair come out. Is it is this harder to get your hair to come back from? That's my understanding. That's a great question. So when it's caught early and mm-hmm. interventions are done early, you can regrow your hair from traction alopecia. Okay. So for instance, I may have a patient and she will come to me and say, you know, gosh, doctor, I just took these braids out last month and look, my edges are thin now. 
In cases like that, where you have a, an acute injury, we're often very successful in regrowing the hair using anti-inflammatory uh, treatments. In cases though, where um, the damage has gone on for say many months, many years, it can be difficult to regrow the hair because eventually those hair follicles can be replaced by scarring and you can't grow hair through scarring, through scar tissue. So traction alopecia when caught early is definitely treatable. And then the really great thing on the positive side is that it's avoidable. I think, you know, again, this is where um, the education part comes in because many people don't know, you know, hey, if I get this hairstyle and it feels a little tight or a little uncomfortable, that discomfort means that there's some damage being done. So sure. if I get a hairstyle and I'm feeling discomfort, I need to make sure that hairstyle is loosened or changed. I don't live with that discomfort for weeks and weeks and just get used to it. I change it. And by doing that, we can really prevent traction alopecia. Yeah, the preventative point is, you know, I think is so important with hair care and hair loss, just because, you know, there are so many things that we do to our hair and scalp that we don't realize that you, if you keep on doing it over and over again, it's going to cause damage. You know, I just think that we know that instinctively with our skin and, you know, on our face or something like if we, if we are, if we sleep in our makeup too much, if we, you know, don't wash our face enough, if we, you know, don't treat our face with the right skincare products, you know, we, we can kind of see that damage, but the same thing is happening to our hair and scalp. And not that people don't know to take care of their hair and scalp, but I don't think that it, there's not the same urgency, if that makes sense. Yes, that, that absolutely makes sense. And I think scalp care and scalp health is is so key and so important because as you as you alluded to your scalp is skin and just just like just the way we take care of our faces and our skin on our face we also have to uh, take care of our scalps you know every day our scalps are bombarded by products that we put on our hair and scalp, bombarded by environmental toxins, bombarded by pesticides in the environment, cigarette smoke, all these stressors. And you know, all of these stressors, just like on the skin, all of these stressors can cause damage to the scalp, can cause inflammation to the scalp. So throughout this episode, she regularly mentions environmental toxins, you know, things like pollutants, particulate matter, smoke, and so on. These toxins actually do a real number on your hair. Not only do they contribute to hair loss, but they can actually contribute to brittleness, premature aging, and graying. So I think we really have to think about just how paramount scalp health is for hair health. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I want to dive in a little bit deeper is about the role of diet and specifically deficiencies within diets that may lead to hair loss. You know, you've mentioned uh, you mentioned some B vitamins. What other, you know, things should people be looking out for in regards to their diet and hair loss? You know, if they're experiencing some shedding, what, what are some things that they can look into? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of having healthy hair uh, and having a healthy scalp, making sure that you are having a diet that is well-rounded, that's nutritious, that has adequate amount of protein is very, very important. We know that our hair is made up primarily of protein, what we call keratin. So it's important that we have sufficient amounts of protein in our diet so that we can maintain our hair 
and grow healthy hair. Many of us, we all lead very busy lives. We may not you know, always eat the best. And so there may be dietary insufficiencies that you have. We know that vitamin D is very important for, for hair growth. Uh, biotin is very important for hair growth. And we do see quite a few people in our practice that have low vitamin D. I actually didn't realize that vitamin D was connected with hair growth issues. I I think you hear a lot about the B vitamins, but I don't know if I know as much about the connection between vitamin D and hair. Yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. And, you know, vitamin D has been in the news a lot about recently with COVID and the pandemic, you know, questions about whether or not people with low vitamin D are more susceptible to, to the to the virus. Vitamin D deficiency can be associated with hair loss and, and excessive shedding. And that's one of the things that in our practice we, we check. And interestingly, in certain parts of the country where there's less sunshine, certainly in people of color, you can see higher levels of vitamin D deficiency. What is the connection between it and hair growth? What's the mechanism there? In terms of the the mechanism, vitamin D is um, a fat-soluble vitamin, and it is one of the vitamins, along with the other fat-soluble vitamins, that are very important for maintaining a healthy, robust follicle and Mm. healthy growing hair. So, you know, all of these vitamins work together to assist the follicle in growing the hair, assist in scalp health. What are some things that like what, if people are experiencing shedding, you know, what are some things that they can do within their diet? Is it about, you know, getting more leafy greens? You hear that a lot. Is it about, you know, finding protein sources? What sort of things do you recommend to people? I think as a, as a physician, first and foremost, I think if you're experiencing excessive hair shedding, you should see a dermatologist because there can be so many reasons. You know, it may be your diet. It may be that you're not having enough protein or not having enough green leafy vegetables, but also you may be anemic. You know, you may have low iron, you may have blood anemia, you may have low biotin, you may have low iron. So I think first of all, starting with your dermatologist to really examine your scalp is the most important thing. Many of us who see our hair loss patients will get blood levels of various uh, vitamins, check for anemia. It's important, I think, to start there and not just assume, you know, hey, it's my diet that may may be bad. Of course, you want to eat a very nutritious diet, exercise, hydrate. But, you know, there are so many other things that we see that can cause shedding that also maybe need to be addressed by, it should be addressed by a physician. And I do think that is a good reminder because, again, you know, I think that people don't always necessarily make the connection of like, oh, I'm experiencing hair loss, I should go see a dermatologist. I think that maybe they'll like go to their hairstylist first or they'll, you know, do whatever. But if you are experiencing, you know, increased hair loss, that really is a dermatological issue. That's absolutely, absolutely right. I, I I've seen patients, you know, where they're having excessive hair loss, we check a thyroid level and their thyroid is off, or, you know, they have undiagnosed lupus, which can cause excessive shedding and and other types of hair loss issues. So I think really important just to start with your physician, get a good baseline exam, and then, you know, go from there. You know, I think in the past few years, scalp care has become more trendy. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of like scalp masks out there, scalp scrubs, you know, maybe it's a scalp serum, things like that. And I just want to ask you a little bit about 
what are you seeing in your patients? Do you do you see that these products are effective? Do you feel that some hair care products could do more harm than good? Like for example, like dry shampoo always comes to mind. You know, how what's the role of hair care and scalp care within this hair loss discussion? Yeah, I think that scalp care is is really so important. You know, when we're exposed to toxins, when we're exposed to certain environmental stressors, these things can damage the the scalp just like they can the hair. You know, free radical exposure from, you know, the sun on our head or from environmental toxins or from hair products that may not be the best can all cause a level of inflammation on the scalp, just like they can cause on on the skin. So in general, you know, when looking at hair care, I think it's really important that we look at the ingredients in our products and that we are looking for things that will nurture the scalp. And that's not to say that, you know, you can't use a hair gel or you can't use a hair spray, but at the same time, also make sure that you're doing things that are nurturing or nourishing for your scalp as well. So that might be using, for instance, hair oils, certain botanicals that that we know are anti-inflammatory or that can reduce oxidative stress. So doing these things in addition to your everyday beauty routine can be helpful for scalp health in general. Sure. And some of those oils is like, that would be like your Moroccan oils or like your jojoba oils, argan oils, stuff like that, right? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think there are a lot of natural botanicals and oils. I I like a lot argan oil, avocado oil. There's an called baobab and these are have anti-inflammatory properties they have antioxidant properties baobab oil is a lightweight oil that's really high in vitamin e now vitamin e is an oil soluble vitamin that's particularly good for the hair follicle so baobab is made from a tree of the same name that's native to southern africa and a few local nicknames for the tree are both the tree of life and the pharmacy tray, which I just think is so beautiful. And I think that these things can be really helpful in terms of promoting scalp health. So one thing that you and I have talked about before is tea rinses, and we've written about them on the site. And I think it's just such a, it's such a brilliant DIY idea. Tea and uh, tea rinses can have a number of antioxidant benefits. Tea is very rich in something called polyphenols. And um, these polyphenols are important antioxidants, meaning they can help reduce oxidative stress from everyday toxins. So again, we kind of talked about toxins from hair products we may use or toxins from environmental um, pollution. So doing an antioxidant like a tea rinse can be very helpful in restoring your hair health. Additionally, teas, many teas have a level of caffeine in them. And there have been some studies that have shown that caffeine may be helpful in terms of of hair growth. So one thing that I try to incorporate into my hair care and scalp care routine or doing tea rinses, you know, maybe twice a month, I find that that's very helpful in both soothing, soothing the scalp, 
but also acting as a powerful anti-inflammatory. Is there a type of tea that you recommend using? Yes. So I think that I personally use green tea. Some people do use black teas, but I use green tea. And green tea has, teas in general, they have something called EGCG, which is actually is short for a really long name of an antioxidant called epigallocatechin gallate. But this EGCG actually can work as an antioxidant and it also can help to reduce an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, which is an enzyme that can be associated with hair loss. So yeah, for sure. So I think this is just a simple, easy, affordable thing that people can do, which is a great step towards towards scalp health. Well, I'll be trying that later. You can have a little bit to drink and then use the rest on your scalp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always love a DIY trick, so I will always sign up for them. <laughs> So we've talked a lot about hair loss and, you know, thank you for um, that very thoughtful dive into all the reasons that could be contributing to it. I want to talk a little bit about hair growth and hair regrowth. I know that there's just so much conflicting information about what works and and also what's realistic. I think that we want to, I never want to overpromise women's solutions because we know with some cases, you know, hair loss, it may be permanent. And I think it's also important to set up that discussion. So how realistic is the idea of hair regrowth? I know it's probably different for the various different types of hair loss, whether it's, you know, attraction alopecia versus female pattern baldness. But in general, do you, are you optimistic about hair regrowth when someone comes in? That's a great question. And as, as you alluded to, the type of hair loss that you have is important in knowing whether or not you're going to have hair regrowth. What I will say is that catching problems early is key to increasing your chances for having hair regrowth. For instance, women with traction hair loss or women with nutritional deficiencies, you know, when these things are found and corrected, the hair can regrow. With traction, anti-inflammatories, changing the way you wear your hair, the hair can regrow when this is caught early. There's a condition that we see called CCCA, which can cause balding at the top of the scalp in women, and it can be associated with hairstyles that pull. When this is caught early, the hair can be salvaged, it can be rescued. Similarly, there are many good treatments for female pattern thinning or female pattern hair loss. There is no one size fits all therapy for all women that's guaranteed to work, but there are many pieces of the puzzle that can help. You know, there are treatments like minoxidil, which is an over-the-counter topical, which, you know, is FDA approved to treat female pattern hair loss and can be quite effective. There are oral medications. There's something called Propecia, which um, is FDA approved for men, but in certain women can be used uh, selectively, which can be effective in, in alopecia for some women. There is a fairly new therapy called PRP, mm, which yeah, I, this is fascinating. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, platelet-rich plasma where your some blood is withdrawn, spun down, and your platelet layer, 
which is very rich in growth factors, is then injected into the scalp. It's an in-office procedure. And in many uh, studies, that's showing a great deal of promise for both uh, male and female hair loss. Okay, PRP, this is a treatment that I've actually gotten. However, I got it in my face as a form of skin rejuvenation. Now, if you're getting it for hair growth, they will inject it into your scalp. I want to explain why it's so powerful. So when they take your blood and spin it, they remove the red blood cells. All that's left is the platelets. Your platelets are your blood's wound healers, so if you inject a high concentration into a specific area, you're encouraging that area to repair and regrow itself. So I think that people with hair loss should not be despondent. I think it's so important that you are proactive. You seek out a dermatologist. You find out, number one, what's causing your hair loss. And then number two, okay, what can we conceivably do to fix this and try those things out? As part of this discussion, since it is so important to be proactive, how do you recommend uh, people stay on top of their hair loss? You know, is it like regularly checking your part and seeing if it feels as thick? Is it, you know, counting the hairs in your brushes? I mean, I think perhaps one of the problems is with this discussion is it's, it's, it's hard to tell like what your hair is going through. Again, it's just not as obvious as the face. You know, when, when you're having a skin issue, it's usually, you know, a breakout or if you're having your skin look sallow and wrinkled. It's the hair isn't always as obvious. And I I find it really interesting that you say that because many of my patients, they come to me because it's their stylist that said, hey, there's something going on here. You've got this bald spot or, you know, I noticed your hair has been getting thinner at the top. I think you should see a dermatologist. So you're right. And I, I think stylists are so important and so key because they can be really at the front line of, of, finding people who may have an issue and then sending them to to a, a care provider that can help them. So stylists are important, but then also I think it's important that, you know, we pay attention. I don't think, I think you'll, most people would drive themselves crazy trying to count hairs in the brush or, you know, looking at their part every day and is this white or is it not? But I think, you know, even from personal experience, I think you kind of have a feel for how your hair reacts and you have a feel for how much of your hair should come out when you're combing it or how much hair is going to be on the floor after you wash your hair in the shower. You have a feel for what's normal for you. And if you're noticing um, a pattern that that, that that pattern has changed, that yes, I'm shedding much more in the shower or, you know, every time I comb my hair, or every time I run my fingers through my hair, I'm getting more shedding than I used to. These clues like this, you know, which can be more subtle, but paying attention to clues like this, I think are, are key. And when you're noticing those things, then it's time to approach your dermatologist. If you've got a stylist, you may say, hey, have you noticed this? And they, and they may at that point say, yes, I have. But paying attention to your hair, how it behaves it is is key. What do you do for your hair and scalp? What's uh what's your go-to routine? What do you what do you rely on? What things do you pay attention to? Yeah, for sure. Well, I try to really focus on two components. Number one, my body health and my scalp health. So, in terms of body health, I try, although I'm not always successful, but I try to eat a good diet, you know, fruit 
fruits and vegetables, lean meats, proteins. I try to exercise a few days a week, more if I can. I try to stay adequately hydrated. I think those are things that I can do from the inside. And I try to manage my stress. Now, I've got you know children and a medical practice and a website, so it's not easy sure. to manage, manage my stress. But I try as much as possible to find an outlet. Um, for me, that outlet is exercise and running. But that's how I take care of my hair from a body perspective. From a scalp perspective, I do try to use anti-inflammatory and antioxidant oils and botanicals. So about three days a week, I'll do a scalp massage with like avocado oil or baobab oil. And then in terms of, and that's how I approach scalp care. But in terms of hair care, I have very coily, what we call type 4B hair. So my hair is very naturally dry. It's very naturally fragile. So I try to limit the amount of heat styling that I do. I try to deep condition my hair at least once a week with something that's a moisturizing product to try to bring more hydration and strength to my to my follicles. So it's kind of both what I do on the inside and the outside. Sure. I, I We hadn't even brought up the, the heat styling component, but I, I always know that a lot of people that I've spoken with, they one of the big things that they notice with their hair is is heat styling and how damaging that can be. What you know, what what do you tell your patients about heat styling? Can they do it every day? Is it like a little bit dependent on hair type? How how safe is it to to heat style your hair regularly? Yeah, I, I get lots of questions about heat styling and I, for my patients that are experiencing breakage and hair loss from excessive styling, I try to tell them to try to limit it to once weekly if possible. I think that, especially for fragile hair types, daily heat styling may be too much, is is likely to be too damaging. So I tell them, let's try to limit it to once a week and try to make that if you're straightening your hair, make that last a week if you can. And use a heat protectant, you know, always use a heat protectant, always style your hair with heat styling after it's cleaned, conditioned, apply your heat protectant and then do it. And then only use the maximum heat that's needed to straighten the hair. You don't have to get it, say if you've got super, super duper coily hair, you don't need to get it bone straight. You know, you wanna relax the coil, get it straight, but maybe bone straight is not something that you go for every week. Maybe that's something that you may do only on occasion so that you're losing, uh, so that you're using less heat. Yeah. And you know, I think this all kind of points to that, like, it's not, it's not that like any sort of styling or any sort of, you know, tool that you want to use is totally off limits. You just have to use all this stuff within reason. That's exactly right. I think that just being smart about your your use, if you're flat ironing your hair or using a curling wand, just be smart about how often you're doing it. You know, be smart if you're using, say, a chemical relax or a straightening. Be smart about how often you're doing it, how it's applied, being sure to apply it the, the right way. I think these things are important more so than not doing them, just doing them in a smart manner and then taking care of the hair, taking care of the scalp as well. Sure. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been uh, such a fascinating conversation. I know that I learned a lot. And I also know that this is a topic that many women want to talk about, but they don't necessarily know where to turn to. So I I think it's so important to just talk about it honestly and frankly and talk about it in a way that is there's no shame attached to it because hair loss is very common and a lot of us go through it and there's nothing there's nothing to feel bad about because we're in this together. I agree uh, 100%. You're absolutely right. Well, thank you so much again, and we will talk soon. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Alexandra. Hey, guys, just popping back in here to say thanks for joining us this week at Clean Beauty School. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you're looking for more beauty content or just wellness content in general, don't forget to check out our website, mindbodygreen.com, our Instagram, mindbodygreen, and of course, our parent podcast, the Mind Body Green Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks again. See you next week.